0: We begin to talk uh, nearly for the remainder of the summer on the design of God. It's important to understand why and what God has designed because if we don't understand what He's designed it for, then we don't know what to aim for. If you know why He's designed things, why He's designed, particularly why He's designed us and how He's designed us then we know that if we want to fulfill that design because some things in life are designed very, very well. When you look at creation, just amazing things that I, I, I notice in creation, just, uh, just brilliant. But then you think about things that human beings have made. They're not always designed all that fantastic. Uh, you, and the success or the failure of a product often can be traced back to the origin, how it was made, how it was designed, how it was engineered. So a couple of weeks ago, it took the kids to go see a movie. Our family of four went to see How to Drain a Dragon. Did I say How to Drain? No, I was <laughs> drained. How to Train a Dragon 2. It's a great movie. Not sure it's going to win an Oscar, but uh, it, it's, a, it's a great movie. You know, there's something I don't understand. I guess it's a, it's a pet peeve of mine that, uh, about snacks at movies. You know, so people, uh, you look around. Now, I, I sneak my snacks in. Uh, you may think, well, because you're healthy. Nope, because I'm a cheapskate, and uh, I'm not paying those prices. So I, I bring in my own snacks. I sneak them in. How many people in this room are snack sneakers? they well, I'm feeling pretty good. <laughs> How is the movie theater making any money off us cheapskates? <laughs> now, that's not good enough for your kids. They don't like the sneak the, uh, sneak snacks. That's hard to say. So, any anyway, rate, but the pet peeve I have is that when you go in, people are, you know, the, the, the dancing hot dog and the, you know, the advertisements and the previews and everything, everybody's munching down on their snacks. I save my snacks. And by the time the movie starts, they're finished with their snacks. So, we brought the kids and, you know, snuck in snacks are not good enough for kids. They want to get, you know, what's down at the snack bar. So, I went down and said, hey, do you have like a kid size soft drink, Sure. Zing. It's about that big. It's like 32 gallons or something. I don't know, but it's huge. And as a parent, if you're a parent, you're going to understand this. You say, hey, don't drink it all before the movie, right? And then you're talking, you're watching the dancing hot dog or whatever's on the screen, right? And during the previews and then, you know, a minute later, they're, hey, don't, I said, don't drink the drink before the movie, right? And then you're going, up. Put the drink down, right? And then, you know, the movie hasn't started. You're only on the third of 16 previews. And uh, then you hear the sound. They're at the bottom of the cup. We got, we got 13 more previews, and we haven't even. So you know where I'm going to go, right? So finally, those of us who have reserved snacks for the movie, now the movie starts. I'm into a movie. When I'm watching a movie, don't bother me. I get very grouchy. I'm into the plot. We're watching a movie. I'm into my first bite of my saved, reserved, sneaky snack. And then, you know, we're just three minutes in. Dad, shh, shh. Don't talk to me. I got to go to the restroom. I'm like, oh, come. I told you not to drink the drink. You know, the 32-gallon drink. Now I got to. So I'm thinking, okay, let's go. It's going to be, you know, covert. We're going to go, you know, running through the aisles and everything. I'm running fast. You know why? I'm losing money. I paid 30 bucks for the movie, right? So we're like going down the halls going into the, you know, and like, hurry up. Just hurry up with your business. So we're in there. We pick a big stall and we're standing in there. And, you know, now it's time. I'm like, okay, let's wash our hands. We're washing our hands. Got the wet hands and now I look at this. I turn around. This is what's in the restroom. One of those bad boys. Okay, the design of these things are awful. You're supposed to press the gray bar, right? I'm telling you, I could have run a Mack truck into that thing. It's not moving. It's frozen. So I got these wet hands. I got a little two paws over here that are wet. I'm missing the movie I paid 30 bucks for. My snacks are waiting for me. I'm a little grouchy, and now I am starting to pound on the thing to get it. Nothing will come out. It's because the design is awful. It got me to thinking about restrooms. I've been gone a few weeks. <laughs> So I've had a little time to think. This could get awful weird. And I'm in the restroom, and I'm thinking of all the things that are poorly designed in a restroom. Have you ever thought about this? Huh? Anybody? Huh? Huh? Thank you. Oh, there's one lady. Let's go to a movie together, shall we? How about this next one? Here's one for you. Who made that? Honestly, you know what I mean? You got to... Reach up in it. Where is the end? Because the end is never hanging out. You know what I mean? You're like, please. It's like you have to do a yoga move to, to, to get it out. And then, of course, you go to the, you know, the faucet. You're washing your hands. Then you got this next one. Do they ever work? Honestly, you know, you got the soap all over your hands, and you're doing every kung fu move, and you are trying to get the water out. It reminded me of this sink. My mom's sitting here. You remember that sink we had on the second floor of our old house? Our house was built in 1928. And we had one of these sinks. Have anybody ever experienced these? (laughs) That design, now for the generation that doesn't know this, let me understand. This is what I grew up with. You got cold on one side, frosty cold, and you got skin scorching hot on the other. See, it only took 6,000 years of humanity to figure out how to put water through one pipe. We were not as smart as you guys are. I don't know what it is. So when you're washing, your hands like freezing, hot, freezing, and you're trying to do this in order to get a little warm water. What is wrong with human beings that we can't design things? So I come back to the fact that I'm glad we're not God, because this whole place would be falling apart. This, the planet would be spinning somewhere in another galaxy. When I think of us compared to God, the design is quite amazing, the difference. I think about uh, just simple things in creation. You don't have to go to the, to the Rocky Mountains and see snow-capped mountains to be inspired by God. That there is a creator. You don't have to stand on the edge of the Pacific to see that there is a creator in this universe. I invite you to walk outside. There's not any beautiful mountains or ocean right outside that door, but I'll tell you what there are. There are plants. There are air. There's air that you breathe. There are clouds. There are trees that keep growing and give birth to other trees. Or take a look in the mirror. Watch how your pupils dilate and God has just put in this this mechanism like a camera that works automatically. And he's put lids, he's put covers over our eyes so when we go to the beach just get sand all in them, they get stuck. He thought about that. He put the little eyelashes in there. He put little hairs in our ears that continue to grow more the older you get. (laughs) People think when you get old you can't hear. No, it's all the hair in there you can't hear. It's like a big earmuff sticking in your ear. But he made these things all for a reason. You don't have to go to a scientist to understand. You don't have to go to a theologian to understand. You know who you can ask? You can ask a bear. Did you say a bear? You can ask a bird. And they know sometimes more than us superior beings as human beings. How do I know that? In the book of Job chapter 12, Job says this, ask the animals. They'll tell you. They will teach you. Or the birds of the air, they'll tell you. Or speak to the dirt, speak to the earth, and it will teach you. Or let the fish go to Nemo, he'll let you know. The fish of the sea, they'll inform you. You don't need a scientist, a biologist. Which of all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has designed it all? Here's it is in a nutshell. It ain't rocket science. When I look at the brilliance of creation, we're going to talk a little later about it. When I look at the brilliance of creation, you don't have to read a textbook. You don't have to go to some amazing place in the the world. You don't have to speak to scientists and biologists and all that. You don't have to read a textbook. You don't have to read Creation for Dummies 101. You can just go out and by instinct, even the animals understand how amazing it is and where it all came from. I'll say this. I've said it many times. It would take much more faith for me to be an evolutionist, much more faith. When I see how everything networks together in such an amazing way, just pick one part of the body, pick the kidney, pick the, the liver, pick the eyeball, whatever, no man could make that and none of these could evolve on them, with themselves. It ain't rocket science. So now, we go to the beginning of the Bible. I love the book of Genesis. You often find that we talk a lot about Genesis. And the reason that we do is because once you set and understand how things were designed, it teaches you how to live. If you don't know how things are designed, you know how to use them. Some things in life we use and we're not using them in the right way. I'll never forget the first house I bought. I think I had one tool, a hammer. And back in the day, they used to have what's called linoleum. Anybody remember that? It's like a floor covering that they glue onto the to the uh, floor with the world's strongest glue known to mankind. And when you go to remove it, it's kind of tough. Well, I had a hammer. And so that because that was the only tool I had, I, I found a butter knife in my silverware drawer. And I thought, well, I'm just going to remove this linoleum with a butter knife and a hammer. And so I, you know, started chiseling away. About lunchtime, I'd almost finished about a square foot. And uh, I had this neighbor, and he, his name was Paul. Paul was a, a retired general contractor. And Paul, he was laid-back guy. Just talk like that. Nothing ever seemed to bother Paul. And uh, he came over, and, and he, he noticed what I was doing. And he said, "Um, Steve, I'll be right back. I knew what that meant. That meant he was going into the largest shed I have ever seen in his backyard. He had every tool that's ever been created. So when Paul said, hey, I'll be right back, Steve, it was good news for me because I knew he he was going to help me out. So he came back to my kitchen and he rolled in an electric linoleum remover. Have you ever seen one? (laughs) Have you ever seen one? It's like a mini lawnmower with a razor blade across the front. It was really heavy. It brings it down to the floor, plug that sucker in, flip it on, 30 minutes, it was over. I was trying to do something with a butter knife that it wasn't quite designed to do. This is why it's important for us to understand, what are we designed for? And here's where we begin we're designed are you ready we're designed is going to be so simple you're going to expect rocket science it's it's very simple we're designed to be alive god did not create anything dead he designed us to live he designed us to, to experience a certain layer of life so we find ourselves at the very beginning of the story in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Many of us know this. Even if you're not familiar with the Bible, you're probably familiar with this passage. Now, it always is uh, refreshing to me to understand how different people read the Bible differently. They come at it with a different attitude, a different openness, and they see things and they hear things that are different. You know, when people read, uh, when I read, I often hear music in the scriptures. And some people, when they begin to read this passage, they try to make it as complicated as possible. They stroke their long beard. And when they're reading this, they may be hearing music that goes something like this. In the beginning, they put a question mark. God created the heavens. And the earth, you know I mean? They're hearing that, I think, because they're like, they make it so complex. Now, other people find this to be, I have been gone for three weeks, I told you, I could get a little nutty today. Some people here, they, they make it very lofty, almost untouchable. As they would read this, maybe they're they're reading it like this. In the beginning. God. you got to pronounce it that way. You know, it's very, very lofty. No one can touch it. Nobody Nobody's in that way. Other people are just freaked out by the whole concept of God. Here's what they hear when they read this. In the beginning. God. I mean, they're just freaked out. Now, you may be wondering what I hear. Or maybe you're not. Maybe you're hoping not. Well, here it comes. When I read this passage... Here's what I'm hearing in my head. Woo, yeah! In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he said, let there be light, and there was light. That's what I'm hearing. You see, there was jazz, man. The plants were living. The fish were hopping. The fish hop. The fish were swimming. (laughs) The bunnies were swimming. The fish were hopping. I mean, that place was going off. It's not rocket science. It was alive because God designed it to be alive. God designed it to live, to to enjoy the, the, the living part of it. Now, he comes to man. And watch what happens in Genesis chapter two, verse seven. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, and watch—he does something unique to only us. He breathed into God, into man's nostrils. Watch the breath. There it is—a life. The design of man is to be alive, not dead. And the man became. A living being. Some versions, which I actually prefer, say a living soul. Now, if you'll bear with me for about two minutes, I'm going to go deep for just a second. If you lose me, I'll be back. When God created us, there are three parts to us. He created our body. We know that. He formed us from the ground. But he created our soul. That soul was alive. That soul never dies. Even when you die, the soul does not die. The soul is the, your inner being. Psalm 103 says, praise the Lord, all my soul, all that is within me. That is the, the person that you are, the person that you will always be. You, your soul will be either in two places according to the word of God when the presence of God forever and ever living or away from God in existence, away from God forever and ever, the soul will never die. He then tells us that he breathed the breath of life into us. We are body, we are soul, and we are spirit. The spirit in us is that part of us that communicates with God communicates and interreacts and interrelates with God. Now, on that in that garden, what I want us to see today is not only were we created to live, but God gave to human beings something unique, uh, several things, in fact, unique that He didn't give any other part of the design of creation. We certainly know that God gave us the ability to communicate with one another. Now, animals communicate. they are migratory sounds, and within a species, they understand that certain sounds. You know, penguins uh, have their mating calls and all those things. It's just brilliant. But it's not superior like us. They can't speak in words unless it's a cartoon. We have a different level of communicating. We have emotions. I've never had a pet that came to me and said, yeah, I'm having a bad Monday. It's just not, we have something they don't. God breathed into us. He gave us the ability to not only have life, but here it is. He gave us the most dangerous gift that he gave to all of creation. He gave to us the capacity to choose. He gave to us the ability to decide. Not only that, he not only gave us the ability to choose, but he gave us the ability to choose life. to choose death. Right from the outset, God gave this ability to Adam. Watch chapter 2 of Genesis in verse 9. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden, there were two trees, two choices, two decisions that He gave Adam the capacity to eat from. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life, number one, and number two, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I propose to you that this is a picture of the design in which we live. There's not a single person sitting here, not a single human being that in this lifetime doesn't have a choice of either life or death. He did not give that choice to others. When we read the book of Job, particularly in the 38th, 39th chapter, so many things said about creation. We're told, for example, that God ordered the dawn. He didn't give a chance. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He didn't say, let there be light if you'd like to give light. He didn't say that. Light, dawn, if you'd like to shine, go for it. But if you decide to opt out, then no. He commanded the dawn, and it was. See, God loved us so much that he wanted us to love him back, and he would not say, you will love me. You will choose life. Adam, I put this two trees here, but there's no way that you're going to choose the other one because I've designed you. I've predestined you, if you want to use a theological hot word. i predestined you. I will make all your choices for you. I don't believe that lines up with the scriptures as we have it. It is a choice that we make, and God Allows us and is moving us and maneuvering us and positioning us to say, choose it, choose life. Come on. He's making circumstances. He's moving in a spirit. He's trying to create around us the most opportune chances that we have to make the choice for life. It ain't rocket science. We don't have to have a theological degree to understand that in this life we have a choice. We understand that God made this choice, and he said in verse 16 of chapter 2, Genesis, and the Lord commanded the man, Adam, you're free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not choose to eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For if you choose to eat it, surely on that moment, in that moment, on that day, here it is, you'll die. You had on one side the tree of life, on the other the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and as we'll see, it's too profound and too deep and too long to get into, but you'll see for those that study in Genesis 3.22 that had he ate from the tree of life, he would have lived forever, but he, and when he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he would have died, just like God said. There was a choice that, that was pictured right then and there. Most of you know the story. Adam and Eve chose death. They understood it. They got the memo. It wasn't rocket science. If you eat from this tree, you're choosing death. And they ate from that tree and they died. Most of you know this, but for those that don't, let me just say, this was not Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and a poisonous apple where they died physically. They didn't take a crunch out of of the fruit and all of a sudden they, they they killed over physically. It didn't happen that way. Their soul did not die that day because the soul cannot be killed. The soul lives forever. Something happened in their spirit that day. Their spirit was separated from God, that connecting peace they had between them and God. Adam hid. He no longer had that connection with God. That is, for that reason, God was was crushed because this was not the design. The design was to live, and he chose death. At that moment, I'm thinking, if you're God, you think, oh, no, this was not the design. I didn't make people to die. I didn't make people to, to, to experience this. Death did not come in all of the creation story until that moment of choice. Now, for those of us who have experienced the, the death of a close person, you'll know full well that the hardest part of that experience is separation. I can no longer call my dad who died a dozen years ago. I can't talk to him. We can't have coffee. We can't eat our favorite bag of chips together. And that is hard. That is the hard part of death, that separation. My father is alive because he's a living soul. The soul of my father is alive, but he's no longer with me so that I can communicate. That day, Adam, in his spirit, his spirit died because he had a separation from God. And in that moment, God had to do something. And when you read the story, you think, wow, God was really ticked off. He punished Adam. But that's not the case. Watch what happens. He guards now the Garden of Eden in chapter 3 of Genesis and verse 22. Now Adam must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat. And there it is, and live forever. After God drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth. Why? Why'd you do that? Because you're ticked off? No. He had to guard the way to the tree of life. I'm gonna go heavy for one more minute, and then we'll, we'll come up for air. Listen, he couldn't allow Adam to live forever and ever and ever in a separated state. See, Adam, his he was dead spiritually. And had he gone over and uh, taken of the fruit from the tree of life, he would have lived forever in separation from God. When people say, God sends people to hell, they don't know the truth about the God of the scripture. God will do everything. He made things to live and to live forever. It's our choices that make us choose death. And God in this moment said, let me show you how important it is for me. Adam, I cannot Stand in my heart to allow you to live forever separated from God. So in that moment, God said, okay, we've got to come up with a new design because this one is broken. This one has death. And I, God, saying, do not create and design dead things. Watch in Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2, but your iniquities, your sins have separated you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you. It's not just separation from God, but watch this. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18. They are darkened, those of us that were before Christ. We were darkened in our understanding and separated from what? The life in God. The umbilical cord was snipped that day, cut that day, severed that day. And as it is with us before we come to Christ the Bible says that we were dead in our sin dead in our transgressions because we didn't because we're separated from God and without Christ this was so important listen this was so important to the designer of this universe that he said I cannot leave it this way I will do I will go to the nth degree, to the furthest mile to bridge this gap. And then the the furthest mile for him, the most supreme sacrifice, of course, was to give his own son so that this gap would be uh, bridged so that death would turn into life. God had to redesign it. In John chapter 10, verse 10, we see this. Christ comes along and says, look, I know that enemy has been along and around since the Garden of Eden. He brings death. But watch what he says. The thief, the enemy, the devil, Satan, comes only to still, watch, here it is, to kill, to bring death, to bring separation and destroy it. But Christ says, but I have come that they may have what? Life. And not only that, the life that is jazzed, the life that is full Christ came and said, I'm redesigning this because I created things to be alive. They got killed in the garden. And Christ said, let me tell you, you've got to be born again in your spirit. You see, Christianity is not an ideology alone. It's not a religion. It's not a philosophy. There was a time in my life when I was in early years in college where I was like, well, I'll just choose Christianity. What I grew up with, I'm familiar with it, it's not as confusing as some other religions. I read about Hinduism, and there's many, many different gods. I'm like, wow, too confusing. I, I read it, I went to a Scientology thing, I'm like, dude, I can't even understand, and, and Christian science, there were different ones I'm looking for. And I thought, well, I'll just choose Christianity because I I know that. On a job interview, when you check the box, they don't do it any longer, but what's your religion? Christianity. I'm checking that one because that's what I believe. That was the ideology. The problem with it is that I viewed this whole thing as a religion, as something that I might intellectually agree with. What I didn't know at the time was that it wasn't all that confusing. It came down to this. It ain't rocket science. You're either dead or you're alive. It has nothing to do with philosophy or ideology. In our spirit, we're separated from from God until we come through Christ who quickens us, who brings us alive in our spirit. And in that moment, it's not like all of a sudden our philosophy changes, our ideology changes, all that stuff. What happens in a very simple way is that we were dead and now we're alive. It's just that simple. The choice has never changed in the design from the very beginning. We're told in the book of Ephesians, this simple, this, this simply in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, because of his great, incalculable, indescribable love for us, God, who is wealthy in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace that you have been saved. Do you remember what one of the first Technicolor uh, movies was in uh, American history, American film history, Wizard of Oz? And you remember that, that, you know, the first half of the movie is in black and white, and the house is spinning, and it comes down, remember that? It's such a great picture. I know it's a wacky picture, but it's such a great picture of, of what we're describing in a nutshell the non-rocket science version of Christianity. Now, I brought a clip just so we get a little bit of visual. It's a 10-second clip, so watch this. Here's a great picture for us. There it is. The difference is those are plastic plants. That kind of ruins the whole deal. But. Now, who opened the door? She did. Dorothy did. The wind didn't blow the door open. No one shoved Dorothy out the door. You see, we just learned that we're saved by grace, that God brings this new life to us by grace. Here's what that means. The grace is the offer. You can't do anything to make God offer His free love, His free gift of Christ. Here it is. But it's a partnership because he asked us then, would you choose life? It's your choice. I'm not going to make you choose Christ. I'm not going to make you choose life, God would say. But I will offer it to you for free. You remember the story of the prodigal son? You remember when he came home? And he came home and he fell at his father's feet and he says, Father, I've changed ideologies. No, he didn't. Father, I've been to seminary. I've got a lot of ology. I totally understand it. It's taken me 300 textbooks to get it. He didn't do that. He said, Lord, let me come back and I'll I'll earn my way. And he actually said, and the father said, great, you can start working for it and then you maybe pay it off after about 400 years. He didn't say that. It's not how the story went. It ain't rocket science. Watch Luke chapter 15. The father says to this prodigal son, this, my son, the son of mine, he was dead, but now is alive again. It ain't rocket science. What does it mean today, when these people go through the waters of baptism? Here's what it means in a nutshell: I was dead, and now I'm alive. Period. That's it. Woo! Can anybody hear the jazz music? Ah, ah, dun, 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 right. Now, some of you are like, I've heard the story many times. <laughs> May I tell those of you who have heard the story? As with myself, there are moments, there are chapters, there are days where I'm like, I got what you, I know the story. And somehow the jazz gets turned down. I've heard the story many times. If you're in that mode, I urge you, I beg you, I nudge you, I encourage you, that the end of this day that you get on your knees and you say to God, I'm sorry that I've lost the jazz of my life, that I was dead, and now I'm alive again, and somehow it's, I was dead and alive, whatever. That God would say, oh, you're in the design, even if you've crossed that line of faith, Don't lose the jazz because once you lose the jazz, guess what's happening? The church looks like what it looks like, that somehow this amazing design of being alive has lost its shine. Oh, don't lose the shine. Now, maybe you're here today saying, I don't understand. I'm trying to get where God has called me. He's doing some stuff in my life. I'm not sure what that looks like. I'm not sure. Let me say it to you very simply. If you're without Christ, you're dead in your spirit. That's why Jesus came and said, you must be born a second time. You must be born in your spirit, to give life to your spirit. It is not active, it is not alive as God wants it to be alive, as God designed it to be alive. Christ took every sin you've ever committed, ever thought about, ever thought about doing, ever thought about you did do, you actually do, you will do. He took every single sin of your life and God the Father poured it on the shoulders, on the body of his Broken son and he died for you. And through the blood of Christ, he's completely, completely washed away every sin of your past. Oh, you don't know my past. You don't know how bad it is. Oh, I could share stories. I bet you I could up you a few if you want to share stories. If my mother weren't in the room, I'd share a few. <laughs> ah, what the heck? I'll go ahead and share a few. Not scary. <laughs> hey, somebody pretty excited about it. <laughs> Honestly people com- complicated. Like, oh, I've done this amount. I've done more than you. It's not about more. It's not about less. It, I'm, I was on the same level as a Hitler. He was dead, and he needed life, and he chose death. Doesn't matter any kind of level of sin. You're either dead or you're alive. The amount of sin, the amount of past, the amount of skeletons you're in closet, it's all, it's all the same. You're all dead before Christ. Perhaps you're here today, and you saying, man, I I feel a separation from God. I've never invited Christ to come in and to become alive so that I can know this life of God. Can I urge you? Can I beg you to consider Christ? See, Christ is not in a grave. He came back, and because He came back, He was able to give new life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you choose life today? Would you choose life? You see, the people that are going to be baptized today, what they've said to the whole world is, I chose life. I was dead, but now I'm alive. And the grace, by the way, is still amazing. Now, let me talk to the rest of you. For those who have already experienced the life that Christ gives to us, you would say, I'm born again. You would, that's your profession. I've now got the the life of Christ living in me. Well, we all know that those things that are alive, they need nurturing. Now, so this week, I saw this uh, article on the irrigation system of God. Now, as boring as that sounds, it's pretty exciting. If you're God and you've created the world, You've made things alive because that's the way you've designed them. So now you've got this, these masses of land. You've created plants and trees and bushes. Now, see, if I'm God, I'm like, that is pretty rocking. You know, you know, just create all this stuff. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, uh, how am I going to keep it alive? Uh, how am I going to water all this stuff? I am not kidding you. I have never in my life, I'm 55, I have never in my life have have had a potted plant that it wasn't dead within two months, ever. You can thank God that Steve is not God. You'd be dead. (laughs) So God creates all this. Three quarters of the world, as you know, is water. Now, If you're God, you're thinking, wow, this is cool. I've created this aliveness in these plants and trees and whatnot, but now I've got to water them. Do you realize that if if the land mass were half and the water was half, that it wouldn't be enough? That wouldn't be a good design because there wouldn't be enough water to water. You need three quarters of, of the world to be water, to water the one quarter. God has got all the numbers figured out. How in the world did evolution do that? How does that happen on its own? It brings me to tears. How does the eyeball blink? How come I can do that at will and stop? Stop. (laughs) How do you do that? It's a design. So God created three-quarters of the world to be water perfect proportion. And now he says, gosh, I've got to take this water. I've got to move it over on the landmass. But as you know, water is very heavy. How in the world? See, if I'm God, I'm like, oh, man, I blew it. I got the water, but now I got to carry the water. I don't have enough PVC pipe to irrigate the whole world. Well, here's what, here, I got an idea. We'll put this thing called the sun in the air. It will be the perfect number of degrees, hot enough, the right exact distance, so that it will heat the water up to the exact temperature so that it will evaporate and it will rise up and it will collect in these cool things called clouds. I'm like, that's pretty awesome. Oh no, it's just going to rain right back on the on the ocean. If I'm going to rise it up. I'm going to evaporate it. But now, oh, I got to move. So I'll do wind channels so that the clouds, the waters, move over to the landmass, and then they'll rain. Oh no, it's salt water. Salt water kills plants. But what I'll do is, in the evaporation process, I'll take the salt out, move the clouds along, water the thing, and everything keeps. Now, oh, I got a problem. I'm emptying out the ocean. So I'll create rivers because Job tells us the waters come from whence they thence, or something along that line that the rivers come back to the pot. So look, we heat up the water, we lift it up because it's heavy, and we've evaporated, we've taken all the salt out, we've moved it through an outer channel, we water the, down, the, the ground, and then it runs back in the river to fill up the boiling pot so that we can do it all over again. You know what I'm seeing? An amazing God! I'm tired, let's go. <laughs> Evolution's an amazing thing, is it not? Oh, come on. It ain't rocket science. There is a designer. Now, watch. In the same way, for those of us who are alive in God, in Christ, we still need to be kept alive alive. We still need to, not eternally, we're not, you don't be born spiritually and unborn spiritually. You're not saved one day and not saved the other, none, none of that. I'm talking now about the jazz, that once you're alive, some people may be sitting here, I, I'm a Christian, I've given my heart to Christ, but I, I, I seem not to either as, drink as much caffeine as Steve, or I don't have the jazz, what's going on? You see, we're told that there is this irrigation system that God has spiritually. It's called His Holy Spirit. And we must choose, same as Adam, same before Christ, and same after Christ. We must choose to walk in rhythm with God's life-giving system called the Holy Spirit so that we remain in jazz alive. Maybe you've lost some of that jazz. I think that's why, that that could be the reason. Watch this, Romans chapter 8, verse 5, speaking to Christians, don't lose sight of the context. Paul, speaking to Christians, says, those who choose to live according to the sinful nature, now, that means to follow after those things like Adam that were pleasing to the eye. The things that are going to die, the things that don't give life, the things that draw us away from God, the things that we look at, the things we say, those things that cause death. Any rocket science. I don't need to go through a list. Those who choose to live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live accordance to the irrigation spiritual system with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind of sinful man, even though you're a Christian, is death. But the mind that's controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. There it is again. In other words, let me break it down for you. When I'm walking and in rhythm with God and spending time with God and appetite for God and bringing it in and, br- and, and, and eating his spiritual food, which is called the Bible, and in prayer and in communication and in communication with other people who love God, and I'm in that irrigation system, God says, I'm keeping the jazz going in your life. And when I remove myself from that and I take it all on my own and I'm just going to do my own thing and my own sinful stuff, there's something that dies in ourself. And even if you're a Christian, you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? Those days, those weeks, those months, those chapters in our life, we're like, I'm just not in rhythm. And God is saying, here's why. It's a choice. But it's not a choice that we make all by ourselves. Otherwise, this is just a self-help group. And I would say, you know, just read more haiku. That will give you some real life Just think positively. Hang around positive people. No, it's not that. We find a little later in Romans 8, verse 13. For if you choose to live according to the sinful nature, there is again you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Now listen, who is it that is is doing this? That is, is, is making this uh, decision to live. Who is it? You'd say, well, it's us, right? No, watch carefully. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, it's a partnership. It's a partnership with God. This past week, I was looking at a documentary on the civil rights movement here in America. Uh, it's a, been a documentary on the 60s, maybe some of you have seen it. Each week they take a different segment. This is the decade I grew up in as a kid. And I remember the tensions of of, of that decade in many, many different ways. Of course, the assassinations that were happening, that happened in that decade, Vietnam, the civil rights, uh, tension in our country. And this particular show was focused on the... Uh, the Civil Rights Movement, of course, led by Martin Luther King, Jr. And I heard the speech again there in the in the park in Washington, D.C. And I wept like a baby. I've heard it hundreds of times. But there was this buildup uh, in this documentary, and I went back and studied it this week because it, it piqued my interest. So when they uh, had Come to Washington, D.C. August 28th, 1963. It was a Wednesday. It's hot. I grew up in Virginia. August 28th is a hot day, I promise you. They expected, they didn't know how many people to expect that day. The news was trying to dampen the excitement, the life. They said probably 25,000 might show up. Over 10 times that showed up, more than a quarter of a million. Now, Martin Luther King, when he gave a speech... He often just jotted a few notes down. He was, as you would say, extemporaneous. He'd find a church bulletin and he would just jot a few notes and then just let it rip. But on that day, because it was going to be so special, he met with his advisors and he said, This is a momentous point in history. We don't know how many people are going to show up. So on the day before that event, he met with his advisors. He had given a speech in Detroit earlier, and he had mentioned just a little, this little snip about a dream. But when he wrote the speech for this event on August 28th, he wrestled with what should be in the speech because each speaker was only given five minutes to speak, and he wanted to honor them. And on the evening before, he sat around with his advisors in that day, he had talked about a theme of America had given a bad check, had written a bad check. That he had they had talked about freedom. It was written about, but it, it wasn't cashable. They didn't follow through. So I thought maybe that should be in the speech. And then he said, Maybe, you know, I, someone said, You got to talk about jobs in the urban setting. You gotta put that in the speech. He said, Guys, I only have five minutes. So he wrote this speech and he went back to his hotel room and he looked at his visors. It was late the night before on August 27th. It was late that night. And he said, I've got to get away and get with God. I've got to spend time with the Lord. And he went back up to his room and he wrote in a very unusual way for him. He wrote out all the words of this speech, taking all of these things under advisement. He stepped to the podium that day. And he was reading his speech, and it was okay. It didn't have the jazz that, it, that he normally had because now he's on script. Mahalia Jackson, the great singer, had sung before he got up to speak. And one of the last things in his speech read like this, go back to our communities as members of the International Association for the Advancement of Creative Dissatisfaction. You've been standing out in an August sun all day. I'm like, what do you say? See, this wasn't him. He wasn't used to writing it all out. Got all fancy, all complicated. Somehow it became rocket science. Let me run it back to you again. You're sitting out there. You've been out in the hot sun all that day. And you say, now here's what you do. You go back to your community as members of the International Association for the Advancement of Creative Satisfaction. At which point Mahalia Jackson said she was about two rows back. She said... Tell him about the dream, Martin. Tell him about the dream. You could see on the documentary where he took his manuscript and he shoved it aside and he leaned in and he took a hold of that pulpit and he leaned forward across the quarter of a million people and he said, I have a dream. That moment was transforming for this country because he's like, there's life and God created you. To live. That's the message that he was sending. God loved that man. Someone who stood up against the harsh and cruel and oppressive establishment. You see, there was a timeline in the Bible that I believe this same kind of speech, a Martin Luther King speech, a Gettysburg Address speech with only 272 words in it. There's a moment that a man named Moses, he stood up in the last speech that he would ever give in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Now, I don't know about you, but anybody that's 120 years old, I'm listening. They've had a little more experience than I have. I'm leaning in. I don't know about you, but a man who's had a VIP place in the mountain and spent many, many days alone with God, I'm going to lean in and listen And when he comes to this moment in his final speech, in one of the final chapters of what we call the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, he leans forward. And you know what the first thing Moses is saying? It ain't rocket science. You're like, I don't believe it. Watch. We close with this. Can you hear the power of, of a man who's 120 years old, who has spent many days alone with God, who's put up with God knows what with these people for 40 years. He's got something to say. He's seen a lot. And Moses leans across the pulpit, drops his manuscript, and I believe he delivers this in an earth-shattering address. He says, now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you, are beyond your reach. It ain't rocket science. I like him already. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, well, who in the world will ascend into heaven and get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? Because this is so difficult. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea to get it? And proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. It's so difficult. He's saying, it ain't rocket science. No, the word is very near it. You guys know it. That's what he's saying. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart so that you may obey it. See, I set before you today the same decision every human being in the human race will ever face. I set before you today two choices, life and prosperity and death and destruction. For I command you today to make the choice to love the Lord your God, to make the choice to walk in His way, to make the choice to keep His commandments, His decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering and uh, to possess. But if your heart chooses to turn away... And you choose not to be obedient. And if you choose to be drawn away by the eye pleasing fruit of the tree to be bowed down before gods and worship them, I declare this day that you'll certainly die. You'll be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. Listen, this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you two choices. It ain't rocket science, life and death. Blessing and curses. Now, here it is. He leans forward in the pulpit and he says, "Now, choose life. Your choice, your move. Maybe the most two important words in the human race: choose life, because God designed you to experience what that might look like and 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 feel like. So choose life, so that you and your children may live." And that you may love the Lord your God, listen to His voice, and hold fast to Him. Why? For the Lord is your life. And it's that simple. Just that simple. I don't understand the complexity of religion. Good. Choose life. I don't understand the, the resurrection. And how that could, That's okay. Choose life. I don't understand it fully either. The decision is so simple. For those who are getting baptized this morning, would you stand right now because we want to celebrate the fact that you chose life? Would you stand in this room? Where are you? Yes. (laughs) Remain standing. Here's my son. He's standing. I got to share your story. I get to understand your story. You told me. You understand. I understand some of your story. Some of these stories are beautiful, but in a nutshell, you have come from death to life. Way to go! Way to go! You guys can see. Thank you. You can I had a treacherously busy day yesterday but I was determined to spend some one-on-one time with my son the day before his baptism so I went in his bedroom I shut the door and I said Ty um, do you know what we're what we're going to be doing tomorrow do you, do you understand that yeah dad, didn't hesitate yeah dad I've given my life to Jesus. I'm going to live with him forever. And I'm going to tell everybody else what I've done. It ain't rocket science. It ain't rocket science, y'all. It's as easy that my brilliant 11-year-old can figure it out. Son, way to go. Good choice, good choice, good choice, good choice. And God was part of bringing you to that choice. He offered you the grace. How about you? God's offering you something free, and he gives you the choice to choose it. Will you choose Christ if you haven't? Will you choose life if you haven't? Will you reach out and say, I need Christ. I know myself. It's not rocket science. I'm separated from him. If you are a believer, would you say, oh, my goodness, somehow I've lost the jazz. And I've got to get back in rhythm with God. Would you say today, God, I'm choosing life again because it's the way that God has designed you. He didn't make anything dead, but everything was alive. Father, thank you so much for the brilliance of your design and for the risk that you took to give us the ability to choose. How dangerous of you. You offer, as you did with Adam and Eve, to the nation of Israel, to this nation, and to us today, two very simple choices, life or death. As I have said many times today, God, it ain't rocket science. I pray, God, we pray together, your church prays together for those sitting in this room who have not experienced the life in Christ for whatever reason, the heaps of guilt, the complication of religion, whatever that may be, God, it doesn't matter because your love penetrates our thickest barriers to offer us As we sung earlier, an indescribable love, free of charge, no strings attached. Through faith, we just reach out and choose to accept it. We pray together, God, as a church for those who have not yet reached out and made that choice. God, may you stir their hearts in such an irresistible way today today that they will choose life in Christ. I pray, Father, for those who have chosen life in Christ and pray that you will help us to examine our lives if we've lost the jazz, if we're out of sync, perhaps, with your spiritual irrigation system today. Oh, God, help us to know without a shadow of a doubt As you stood in the garden of Eden, you stand at the threshold of our life speaking to us, it is not too late, it is never too late, and it has never been too late to choose life. The enemy comes to kill and destroy and discourage, to say we've blown it so big, even as believers, that there's no chance of life. And Christ comes and says, I am come to give life and give it to the full, to give it abundantly, and I pray for those who are not experiencing the jazz of the abundance of the life of Christ as believers. I pray that on this day, God, we'll commit ourselves to prayer and support for those who are going into the waters of baptism, that they have not chosen a religion, an ideology, a philosophy. They've chosen Christ, and they've chosen life, and we're, we're here to celebrate that. And may they commit, this, these new lives in Christ, may they commit to you, God, to be in rhythm with that life that you give in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for your brilliant design of all that is around us, but particularly today, we thank you, God, for making us and designing us to be alive. And we pray it in the name of of the living Christ. Amen. Amen.